0: Look, man, when I had my surgery, Jamel, I I was very fortunate in that I got referred to one of the world's best surgeons. His name was Dr. Matthew Walsh. And Dr. Walsh saved my life on the operating table. He took out my stomach, took out my gallbladder. He took out my spleen. He took out most of my liver, most of my pancreas. Uh, He had to rebuild the arteries in the back of my liver uh, and, and literally took them out of the inside of my thigh and rebuilt them into the back of my my, my liver. Um, he took out a basketball sized tumor out of my stomach. Um, and so all of it was gone. So I had to relearn how to eat. I had to relearn. I could not keep food down for six months, And also at this time, I also had been completely ripped away from my real estate business because I was primarily, I was very transactional, wholesaling, doing rehabbing, and it made a lot of money and it's a great business model. But I also realized I had made a big mistake and that I did not have sort of, you know, passive income, perpetual income, income in perpetuity, all these different things that we do now. Perfect.
1: Jamel Gibbs here. Welcome to another podcast episode. I'm excited to, uh, to be on today's podcast. We have a very special guest. I've known this uh, special guest for quite some time. We're talking uh, back in 2006 when he launched a, uh, it was a, what was it, a short sale course. Right. I was actually a part of that uh, initial launch, which I thought was pretty awesome. And um, that kind of opened up the world for me as far as information when I saw some of the numbers that came in from that launch. But you no, know, on top of the information world, our special guest is a real real estate investor. Number one, he buys, I mean, he does everything from wholesaling to apartments to uh, helping people uh, find private funding for their real estate investing businesses. In fact, he owns over 2,000, I think you said over 2,500 uh, right. units at this point, Josh. That's right, that's right, buddy. But you know, at the end of the day, He's the real deal, guys, and that's exactly why he's on this podcast today. Josh, man, what's up?
0: Hey, Jamel, man. I'm so excited to be here. I am so excited to be reconnected with you again. Seems like we're able to connect, you know, a few times a year face-to-face. You're moving and shaking. It's all mine. So when we get to carve out a few minutes and spend some quality time, man, it's important to me. I appreciate it.
1: Absolutely, brother. It's always a pleasure talking with you, man. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I know a little yeah. bit about you, but maybe our guests don't.
0: Yeah, sure, let me just give you guys a quick um, kind of 30 seconds. So I got out of college, uh, was happy to have parents that could help me afford to pay for it. I got private you know, um, student loans, the whole thing. And my dad flipped out the second I graduated from college and I took a job as a financial advisor with zero salary. So my story starts with, as a 22-year-old with no boss, purely becoming an entrepreneur. I was very fortunate, Jamel, to have my father, who I got to see and watch him observe, build an employee benefits business. So I was exposed to entrepreneurship in high school, in college. I got to witness that. And so my dad flipped out when he helped me pay for college, expensive four-year education, played college football. And then I took a job basically following his footsteps. I said, Dad, look. What did you expect? Did you expect me to go get a job making $36,000 a year like my buddies? Or did you expect me to follow your footsteps of working for myself, working long hours, grinding out? And so my story really starts following my father, very fortunate. So for your audience that's listening, you've got to find someone in your space, your ecosystem that is an entrepreneur. That can be an entrepreneurial leader. That can be a coach. Someone like Jamal, maybe it's somebody else in your world. Uh, find someone like that that you can, you know, hook your wagon to. For me, it was I was fortunate to be my father. Now, I became a financial advisor, and that's going to help make sense with this story as we talk about private money because financial advising was fun, but you realize I was, finding, you know, I was advising clients, Jamal, in 2001 during the stock market bubble crash. The great tech bubble crash. I had no clue what was going on. I'll never forget sitting in a hotel in downtown Washington, D.C. I was with my parents and my grandmother. We went there just for a quick, like, four day sightseeing tour. And I was watching the stock market go down like 700 points a day. Clients are calling me. I had no clue what to tell them. And today, that's the same thing that's going on in the middle of coronavirus, the middle of COVID. Most financial advisors have no clue what's happening with the stock markets but we can predict what's gonna happen with cash flow. We can predict what's gonna happen with real estate. So very fortunate at a young age to be exposed to entrepreneurship and the financial markets. Uh, long story short, I started out as a wholesaler, a transaction entrepreneur, primarily focused on short sales. Then I got sick in 2011 with pancreatic cancer, very fortunate. Um, I could share that story a little bit, Jamel, if we want. And then I really saw, because of cancer ripping me away from that business, and I didn't have the capacity to work for about six months, literally did not have the capacity to leave my bedroom, leave my house, go talk to sellers, go talk and do deals. I literally had this massive 13 inch, you know, incision in my stomach. I had no, no lots of body parts gone, lots of organs mm-hmm. gone. We could talk about that if you want. But I realized, wow, I don't, I might be making a lot of money in real estate. But I'm not really wealthy. I don't really have a lot of cash flow. Right. And so the last seven or eight years, I've been passionate about fixing that mistake that I made by now raising private money, buying assets, and creating long-term wealth and long-term cash flow. So there's lots of lessons there from wholesaling and from owning assets that we can talk about. But that's the uh, that's the, the five-minute intro I tried to slam into 30 seconds. <laughs>
1: hey man you know I, I love that story uh so much and it really resonates with a lot of people man uh, what i really want to dig into uh for those who are going through something right now so you you were really successful in your business really early on obviously you worked hard uh, I, I i literally watched your business go from where you when you first started to where you are right now man it's it's an it's incredible where you are today thanks man um i really want to hit home for for people who are going through something right now so uh you you said you had uh what was it stage four pancreatic cancer
0: yeah it was stage three it was really advanced um but yeah it was you know pancreatic cancer is a death sentence man
1: pretty much man and and you're still here talking with us today we're talking what was it uh seven years seven years ago or so
0: yeah it was actually going on
1: nine years now you got a good nine memory
0: you're, you're right there it was 2000 it was November uh, November, 2011, man. So I'll be coming up on my nine year anniversary in a few months.
1: Yeah. Because I remember, you know, we're talking, you're absolutely right. About nine, 10 years ago, I didn't hear from you for a little while. Yeah. And, um, you know, then you came back on the scene and then you, you told everybody what was going on and, um, kind of shocked the world at that point. That's right. Um, what type of, uh, you want you, you feel comfortable talking about that? Yeah, absolutely, brother. You bet. So, uh, what, what can you tell us about that experience?
0: Yeah, it, well, I could tell you it was hell. I, I, I could kind of start with that. Um, you know, when I was diagnosed, uh, my wife had just had our third child. Uh, my son, Dominic, it was born through an emergency C-section. He had a cyst in his neck uh, when my wife was pregnant, and they were very concerned that when he was born, he wouldn't be able to breathe. So he had an emergency C-section, and my wife had basically surgery, and my son had surgery, uh, like in 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 operating rooms that were next to each other and I also knew at that time that I had this massive lump in my stomach right so I'm 35 years old excited about my future excited about you know having my third child and then really my life totally turned upside down because now all of a sudden she's having this emergency c-section my son's got this lump in his throat his neck I've got a lump in my stomach I'm like geez this is not this is not normal. This is not good. I'm 35 years old, pretty young. None of this stuff should be happening to me. And I quickly realized, um, and I got some really good advice from my father. You know, my father said to me, he said, you know, Josh, there's, there's a reason why God is putting you through this. There's a reason why you're being tested at such a young age. There's a reason why you're being chosen for this. My dad said a couple things to me. He said, um, I might get a little emotional about this too, brother. So I apologize in advance. One of the things my dad said to me, he said, First of all, you're probably not going to know all of the reasons why this is going on while you're in the middle of it. It might be three years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, until you have all the lessons from this that really reveal themselves. So be patient. You know, there's a plan for this. Second thing he said, a little bit of motivation, he said, Look, God gives his greatest warriors his biggest test, right? His greatest warriors, his biggest test. So I started thinking that this is, this is a big test. Uh, 35 years old with three kids. I had a two-year-old, a one-year-old and now a newborn. I started thinking, wow, man, God must really trust me because this is, this is a serious, serious test. Um, and so my, my son was born. He ended up having a, a surgery to get the, the lump out of his neck. It was just kind of cyst. And then I was diagnosed two weeks later. So my son was still in the ICU recovering when I had to go downtown to the Cleveland clinic and tell my wife that my CT scan came back and I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. So imagine telling yourself that you have cancer when she has our newborn in the ICU in recovery. Mm. Right. So it doesn't get any more messed up than that. My friend It doesn't get any more messed up. But I also realized that, and this is, for all of our audience, no matter what you're going through, whether it's in your real estate business, whether it's in a personal relationship, maybe it's a divorce, maybe it's a bankruptcy, maybe you're having a hard time with your credit score, maybe you're starting to get a new business off the ground. You know, my dad would tell me, Josh, listen, God has a plan for you, but nobody is coming to your rescue. You need to be the one to do the research on how to recover. You need to be the one to figure out how you're going to treat yourself. Doctors will give you advice. They'll tell you what to do, but ultimately you need to make the best decision you can for you. So no matter what the situation is that you're going through, uh, I would tell you, and I'll give everybody the advice to say, look, there's nobody's going to throw you a lifeline. Nobody's going to throw you, if anything, some people like to see people drown. People who are very successful, people like you, you Jamal, people want to tear you down a little bit when you've had some success mm-hmm. because they haven't had it. People are jealous. They might throw you an anchor that might just sink your butt right to the bottom of the ocean.
1: Those are called haters.
0: Yeah, that's called haters, right? Everybody's got a few. Yep. Um, but- Look, man, when I had my surgery, Jamel, the I, I was very fortunate in that I got referred to one of the world's best surgeons. His name was Dr. Matthew Walsh. And Dr. Walsh saved my life on the operating table. He took out my stomach, took out my gallbladder. He took out my spleen. He took out most of my liver, most of my pancreas. Uh, he had to rebuild the arteries in the back of my liver uh, and, and literally took them out of the inside of my thigh and rebuilt them into the back of my My, my liver, um, he took out a basketball sized tumor out of my stomach. Um, and so all of it was gone. So I had to relearn how to eat. I had to relearn. I could not keep food down for six months. And also at this time, I also had been completely ripped away from my real estate business because I was primarily, I was very transactional, wholesaling, doing rehabbing, and it made a lot of money and it's a great business model. But I also realized I had made a big mistake in that I did not have sort of, you know, passive income, perpetual income, income in perpetuity, all these different things that we do now. Uh, and those were the lessons to kind of bring this full circle, Jamal. Those are the lessons that my father told me I would learn
1: that I didn't realize back then that I am now still learning today, nine years later. Wow, man. Incredible, incredible story, man. And I'm happy you pulled through. I'm happy the family is happy and healthy today, man. Thank you, man. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to to, to seeing where you go from here as well, brother. Thank you. Appreciate that. So you, uh, just to kind of transition a little bit, you, you um and, and just so you know, I know a lot of people. If you're listening to, to Josh's story, uh, if you heard what he just said, if you if you weren't if you weren't listening close enough, rewind this podcast. So Josh has he had a successful business and he basically had this this big dramatic thing happen in his life, and his business kind of went away at that point, mm-hmm. and then he had to start all over again, and at the end of the day uh we're talking 9 years later he's even better than when he first started uh when before he had the cancer you right. know so anybody uh if you're listening to this story right now guys any of you can go from where you are right now no matter what it is that you're going through to where you want to go uh and, and the only person that's holding you back is yourself that's right so what I'm gonna encourage you guys to do is to get out there and just take action. Don't be afraid to fail. Understand that there will be hurdles that you're gonna have to uh, get over, but if you just keep pushing through, uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel.
0: That's right.
1: All right, guys. So um, just kind of making a transition in our conversation here a little bit. So you you got into real estate back in uh, the early 2000s. Yep, 2005. Um, 2005. You uh, kind of rolled the market up. You had this big uh, uh, unfortunate thing happen in your family and then you had to rebuild. How was, how was that uh, transition from yeah. going from very successful to kind of hurting a little bit to, um, you know, starting all over again?
0: Yeah, again, I think it goes back to what my father had said is there's going to be things that you're learning along the way that you don't know how important they're going to be in this next phase of your life. And so one of the things that happened, Jamal, was I bought two properties right before I literally, I have the settlement statements. My surgery was on November 21st, 2011. I have a settlement statement from a closing on November 14th and November 7th. So one a week before surgery, one, two weeks before surgery, I bought these two properties instead of wholesaling them. I bought them to rehab and I raised private capital for both deals. So I had people that I knew that lent me the money. I promised them a 12% return or 15% of my profits, whichever was greater. I bought these two properties. And while I was in the hospital, literally recovering, while I was in my master bedroom, recovering from surgery for the next several months, I was able to outsource the improvements and turn around and flip and sell these properties through a rehab flip. My investors were excited. They got, you know, it was more than 12% return on their money Mm. at the end of the day. And I turned around and looked to myself and said, you know what? I only went to those properties three times. I didn't have to go spend a lot of time. I didn't have to swing a hammer. What did I just do right here in the middle of this surgery, in the middle of this pancreatic cancer recovery? What did I do right? And I realized a couple of things. First of all, you can control the entire deal by controlling the funding okay so when you control the funding and you control the release of capital to contractors you control the release of capital to the title company when you can control the boots on the ground operator by controlling people's paychecks that sounds a little bit raw but by controlling the capital you can control the deal and you don't have to be on site so funding equals freedom that's what i've been telling audiences for years now is by having access to true private money i was able to control those deals even though i wasn't on site And so I was able to get pictures. I was able to get video. I was able to get this from my laptop and my computer from a rehab I was doing that was 45 minutes away. Or mind you, I couldn't get, I wasn't supposed to drive. I was on all these drugs recovering. So I'm not supposed to go drive to the property. I went a couple of times anyway, but, um, I get pictures, video to my computer. I can see the progress. I can get FaceTime. I can see people walking me through the property from my bedroom while I'm recovering from cancer. So I'm I realized, wow, I could control these deals by controlling some of the funding, right? I could have wholesaled them and made some good money. I ended up making about $40,000 on each deal. So that was an epiphany for me. And I thought, you know, what if I could just do that again? So what if I could, could, instead of just doing two deals, what if I could spend that investor's money and just do four deals a year and make 30, 40 grand a pop? Okay. That's a good start to my recovery. Then what if I could recruit a little bit more capital Then I started thinking if I could spend people's money twice a year, if somebody's got 150 grand, 200 grand, and I could buy a property, buy it, rehab it, sell it, then buy it, rehab it, sell it twice in a year. I don't really need that much private money. If I could get $500,000 of private capital, it would be be a million bucks a year. I could maybe turn eight to 12 properties a year at 30 to 40 grand a pop. And that's a, that's a good start to my recovery. Um, and then I realized, okay, now this is starting to work. Fast forward to 2014, 15, we're doing 30 to 40 to 50 big rehab profit
1: uh, projects a year. We're knocking down 25 to 50 grand a pop and we have a million dollar business. At 40, what was it? I, I believe you were, because you had a program on that. It was what? 40K? 40K flips. 40K flips. That's yeah. right. So at $40,000 $40, a pop.
0: That's right. Because that was our average
1: profit, right? Yeah. And then again, things continue
0: to evolve, Jamil. And I think that's one of the lessons that I think everybody needs to remember is business is going to evolve. Business never stays totally stagnant. Either you're growing or you're dying. Either you're getting better or you're dying. Either you're getting better or your competition's about to kick your butt. So get, if you're going to be an entrepreneur and a real estate entrepreneur, get used to change, get used to evolution, get used to momentum. These are all things that happen. Like we talked about before this podcast, Jamel, you're experiencing a tremendous amount of momentum right now where things just all seem to be going perfect. They all seem to be going right. That's fantastic, right? You experience that wave up and do the best you can with it. It's not going to last forever. So how do you maintain that and keep that going as long as you can? And then recognize when that wave is starting to slow down and pivot and do something different. So I did the same thing. 2015, I had raised so much private money. I didn't want to do like 50 to hundred rehabs a year. I, that's insanity. There's like contractors, right? Too many problems. So I started a private equity fund and the private equity fund was taking other people's money in my fund and basically lending that money out as a private lender. Okay, so again, we pivoted. We used the momentum, but we pivoted. So now I could scale. I could do twenty-five to fifty of my own rehabs a year. But now I could start to get some passive income by using other people's money in my fund and lend that out as basically sort of a corporate corporate structure of a private lending company. And that's where Freeland was created. Fast forward again, a couple of years later, those investors, Jamal, they said to me, "Look, what Josh, this is great. We're getting great returns. But what else do you have?" And we started investing in apartments, adding more cash flow. So you I guess the story I'm trying to, to tell everybody here is we started at wholesaling, primarily with short sales, experienced this with, with cancer, jumped in, pivoted the business, built momentum with rehabbing, pivoted the business, built more momentum doing private lending, pivoted the business again, built more momentum in apartments, and now. Kind of the smallest apartment that we really want to buy is 80 to 100 units or bigger. And if you just stay doing the same thing forever, not only is it going to get a little bit boring, yeah. but you're probably going to get your butt kicked eventually. It's going to lose some of that like happiness, the excitement of business. And that transition, a little bit of a pivot, a little bit of a change allows you to keep that
1: momentum going. So expect that as an entrepreneur. Look forward to it. Don't run away from it. I love that, man. And you know, the reason why I love that so much when you pivot, just like, you know, we're talking, what, six, seven months ago when this whole pandemic thing uh, came about, everyone had to uh, stop what what they were doing, pivot their business, and kind of see where they were going to go moving forward. You did this multiple times throughout the years, and each time you saw growth in your business and in uh, yourself as well. Mm -hmm. So, uh, obviously, at this point in your business, you're focusing primarily on wholesaling and apartment acquisitions and also uh, raising private funding. Right. Uh, what, what are some of the biggest misconceptions in some of these areas as far as uh, uh, investors getting started? Uh, sure. Uh, some of these uh, investment areas.
0: Sure, so I think for wholesale, let's talk about that, right? doesn't matter if it's residential or commercial. doesn't matter if it's small residential deals or even, you know, small and medium sized apartments. The really big apartments, those are almost always done off market through commercial brokers. So let's just take that conversation, set that to the side. Let's talk about residential and small apartment wholesaling. Right now there's a massive shortage. Jamel, as you know, there's a lot of inventory that's not hitting the market. There's a massive uh, shortage of inventory. I was talking to my friend, Darren Bloomquist. Darren is the vice president of market economics at auction.com so he's their basically their economist and he says to me a couple of weeks ago look in an average week the united states according to the national association of realtors there's about 400,000 properties that are listed for sale right now there's only about 165,000 properties listed for sale every week so the inventory is down 60% okay so real number from the national association of realtors So what does that mean for wholesalers? Where's the opportunity? The opportunity is if you can focus on off-market acquisitions and then either just straight up wholesaling them or pre-having them and bringing them to market, there's such a shortage of inventory right now that anybody who's willing to put in some extra work at the front end with marketing and acquisition is easily going to be able to sell those properties on the back end. And that's going to continue for the next probably 12 to 18 months, Jamel, because there's such a shortage of deals. There's such a shortage of properties for both investors and for retail buyers. So let's talk about that for a minute. The strategy that we're using right now is we go into our software, we pull out these lists. My favorite list to pull is absentee owners with high equity properties that are vacant. Okay, so let's say I pull out 2,000 records out of that software. Okay, anybody can do this. Take 2,000 records. Now, we're going to divide that those records up. We're going to find four guys or four partners or four team members or four college kids that can go drive about 4 to 500 houses each. Okay? Maybe go drive, they pick a neighborhood, they pick a couple zip codes, they put the map together, they go drive those properties. What we're looking for is out of those 2000 for them to come back with about 10 to 15% of that list that has obvious distress because we mm. took the extra time, the extra step, a little bit of sweat, sweat, equity, sweat equity time to go drive that list, then come back and say, okay, now we know the property's vacant. The property has high equity. The property is an out of town owner. And now we drove the property and we found out that that property actually okay. we can, we can physically see distress. Meaning if it's in the winter time there's snow. If it's in the summertime, the grass is not cut. The, the the lawn is not kept. There's no landscaping done. There's you know notices on the front door. There's the eviction notices or there's utility shutoff notices. There's newspapers piling up at the front door. Maybe there's some obvious physical distress to the property. Uh, maybe there's a bunch of mail in the mailboxes still sitting there for days and days. So we notify that now. I don't have to go market to two thousand properties. Mm. Now I'm going to get really deep on those two to three hundred. I love that. now. It's now, now Jamel. Now you're talking about okay. Now we're going to do direct to voicemail. We're going to do text messaging. We're going to hit those with direct mail. We're going to go knock on those doors because I know if I put in some extra work at the front end with our marketing efforts, a little bit of extra sweat equity that maybe you know a couple years ago I was too lazy to do. Now I'll do it because I know if I can get a deal, I can bring that thing back to market because there's no inventory and it's going to sell and I'm going to make either, either a huge rehab profit, a huge wholesale fee, uh, if I'm a realtor, I know I'm going to sell it for a realtor commission, but I, look, what I tell people, Jamel is this, when the market's tight, you got to expand your market or expand your marketing. Mm-hmm. Expand your market, meaning go to a wider market, maybe go out to the, you know, the rural areas or areas where a lot, not a lot of people are going, expand your market right. or expand your marketing, which means if you're going to spend your marketing, you don't want to just spend a bunch of extra money put in some sweat equity, go drive those properties, physically see them, see if there's distress. If somebody's outside, get out of your car, go talk to them, find out because that's a deal that nobody else knows about.
1: Right? You know, that's, a, that's also, uh, you bring up a really, really, couple of, couple of good points. I Number mean, one, people forget that real estate is a hands-on business, is a people's business, right? But right. I love the fact that what you do, uh, what you've been doing, and you just gave me an idea, I'm gonna copy and paste, Yeah, for sure. Do it, man. That's why we're here. That's right, man. Um, So I love the fact, because I haven't heard anybody doing this. You are pulling the list and you're sorting through the best leads on the list by going out and physically seeing a property, narrowing down your marketing expense. So you're going to have some time invested up front, but on the back, you're going to be able to talk to less sellers and make a lot more money, get more deals at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I love that, man. I haven't Absolutely. heard any, and anybody can do this. Anybody can do that, Jamal. Anybody,
0: you, you know, get, get a good list that's reliable. I know, again, a little plug for our software, but we can talk about that some other time. I know that's a good list. We've got the U.S. Postal Service that verifies that they're vacant. We know the, the, a mortgage amount, so we know there's high equity. We know that there's an out-of-town landlord because it's got a forwarding address some other, uh, you know, destination for the mail. And now we also know that there's some physical distress there. Now, okay. Now, if I'm going to go spend money on direct mail, I'm cool with that because I know I'm targeting a really small list. It's really good. I also know the properties that I'm marketing to, uh, you know, we can do uh, text messaging directly to those phone numbers. If we can get them, we can do again, ringless voicemail. If we, if we, again, if we've got that software set up and we can do that. Um, so that's huge. Like I, Jamal, I just walked in apartment building yesterday, right? So it's a 16 unit, uh, uh building. We're going to buy it, we're buying it for 540,000, Put about fifty thousand in. It will be for six hundred. It'll be worth about a million bucks when we're done with it.
1: Awesome, man. Let's talk a little bit about
0: that deal, man. Yeah. Well, I was I brought it up because, and I talked. This is another wholesaler in my market, a friend of mine. He does a lot of the similar strategies that I just talked about. We were talking about. Look, man, if you can find stuff that's off market and bring it to market, people are fighting over those deals, right? So we're at this building yesterday. We show up. There's like eight other investors there. A lot of those investors know me cause I got, you know, kind of a big name in the market. We've done a great job with branding. I've been around a long time. My business partner pulls up, he drives a really expensive BMW and you know, we wear our branded professional coats and shirts. Uh, so we want to project success and professionalism in the market. So we walk in with branded, you know, stuff, mm-hmm. nice vehicles, buttoned up, ready to go. And these guys, a lot of these guys know us and they're like, Oh crap. You know, the Freeland freelance guys are here. They're, they're uh, they're going to walk through. So we've seen these other investors at other like investment open houses. They're all bidding on properties and we always win because we pay all cash, right? We pay all cash, not our cash, but our private investors cash. So we walk in, but we're talking, I'm talking with Adam and he's like, Hey, man, I found this deal off market. You know, we, we, we got the list and then we hit the phones. They hit the phone. So again, expand your marketing, cold calling, ringless voicemail, text message. That's how they found the deal. They say to us, look, Josh, we're, we're marketing this property for 650 grand. Um, but we know you're going to pay all cash. We know you can close inside of 30 days because I've already bought like eight other properties from these guys in the middle of COVID all cash. Again, not my cash, private lender cash. And they're like, Hey man, if you, if you want to make an offer and buy it, let us know this is what we want. Now I'm not going to reveal that price to right. you Jamal or on the podcast. Cause we haven't closed the deal yet. But um, once we close it in 30 days, I'll tell you. But it's a substantial discount off of what they're asking, and these other people are bidding, and they're all kind of try to get it, and they don't even know that we're pretty much they're going to give it to us. Why? Because we're a reliable buyer. Why are we a reliable buyer, Jamal? Because we focus on raising private money in order to buy these assets now, long term, and so like we have an 80 unit that we're closing on next Friday. We're buying it for 3.7. We're getting a bank loan for about 3 million and we raise 1.5 million of investor equity. That investor equity goes for all of our down payment, our downstroke plus all the rehab Mm -hmm. plus we're paying ourselves $120,000 asset and acquisition fee. Uh, So we're all in for 4.5 million stabilized value is 6.2 million when we're done with it. Why did we get that deal? It was off market because again, we have access to private money and we can close. We're a reliable buyer. So, you know, those types of things are happening for us now. We've got a 150 unit in Columbus that we're looking at. I've got a 275 unit in Shaker Heights, Ohio. I just walked a 950 unit in Euclid, Ohio. I've got some joint venture partners down in, in Atlanta that brought me a hundred unit and 178 unit. These are all deals now that are happening. Why? Because of cancer, because of what my dad said, because I got wise and didn't just focus on wholesaling, because I learned my lesson when I was ripped away from my business to start raising private money. And now my things, my dad told me nine years ago that would start to happen are happening mm-hmm. because I raised private capital, because I learned lessons along the way, applied those and continue to pivot. Now we've got access to about $40 million of private money and I can start to take on these big, large assets now. And I'm a comfortable and educated buyer of those assets. People know we can close. I would have never thought nine years ago, that I'd be making offers on 20 and $40 million apartment deals. Yeah. Never. Um, I also, just to be clear here, I also am making offers on 16-unit deals. Like, look, little guys, you know, got things that we can buy that make sense for cash flow. So it doesn't matter what it is. Don't worry about if it's 200 units or 20 units. Buy stuff that cash flows now. That's one of my lessons I learned along the way.
1: I love that, man. So, you know, we were just talking before the podcast. You make, you know, most of our audience... They're focused on wholesaling real estate. The problem with that is that's active income. Rehabbing mm-hmm. is active income. You have to continue to work. You can make a really good living doing it, but you're going to be working forever. You can't sure. get rich or you can't get wealthy off of uh, uh, wholesaling and rehabbing. So you have to add passive income into the equation. So you made the transition. And if you, know, you think about it, if you would have had more passive income, I'm not sure what your circumstances were back then with the cancer, but that would have made life a lot easier for mm-hmm. you at the same time, right? For sure. So fast forward, because of that situation, you started focusing more uh, uh, on, on passive income streams and that kind of got you to where you are today.
0: Yeah. And Jamal, you know, that's, it, it, it's, a, it's a tough decision because there's always the temptation to just keep doing things that put a lot of money in your pocket today,
1: mm-hmm. right? Right.
0: There's a lot of deals that we did that we bought for cash flow for long term that I could have wholesaled or rehabbed and made $8,000, $20,000, $50,000 and taking the income. But we didn't do that. We started building our balance sheet several years ago and saying, okay, we've got to get to the point now where I can sponsor big loans. I can raise big equity. So what I would tell the audience is do a little bit of both starting from day one, do the wholesaling for quick cash. But start buying assets now. And we don't buy any single family rentals, Jamel. We only buy duplexes, quads. We, we try to buy as big of assets as we can. So but I just, buy, bought a du- I just bought a duplex duplexes. two weeks ago. Yeah. We Great. still buy duplexes. You bet. Nice. Anything that cash flows, brother. If it cash flows, it spends green, I'm buying it. Uh, but we want at least two units, right? We, we don't buy any single families, but two units, four units, five units we got a 16-unit, an 18-unit, a 20-unit, and an 80-unit that are all closing in the next 60 days.
1: So, I love that, man. I love the fact that you buy anything from a duplex all the way up to 1,000 units. Yeah. Because most people are one-track-minded when it comes to, you know, some people don't feel like a duplex is good enough when they have, you know, a 200-unit over here. Mm-hmm. Right? So anything that cash flows, you're, you're buying. Especially
0: if you can do it in a geographical area where you can get some scale, right? So the the duplexes and the quads are tougher to scale because they're all in different areas on different streets. But if you focus on a couple zip codes and you're buying kind of close to each other, then you can have a maintenance guy and a leasing agent who can kind of take care of those similar to a apartment building that might be a hundred units all on one site. You can treat it the same. They're just, you know, a little bit more fragmented down the street from each other or a 10 minute drive to each other. You know, we don't want one duplex over here and another one that's an hour away. You know, we want to keep them in a similar zip code, but you can build a nice portfolio that way and build some scale. Um, so here's a couple of numbers, Jamel, that will help. Every, every duplex that we buy, any, every small uh, one to four unit, smaller apartment, we make about $250 per month of net free cash flow. After expenses and after debt service, we make about three thousand bucks a year. Mm-hmm. On the apartments, we make about half that. okay so apartments are sexy, everybody wants to buy them. but truth is per door, we're only making about thirteen to fifteen hundred dollars a year per unit with the larger apartments right So people say oh I only buy apartments yes, but we can actually make more cash flow per door per unit. With residential for two to four units or two to 10 units. So those have value to us. They have value because one duplex is going to make us about 3000 bucks a year. That's setting the world on fire. But if you buy 10 of those,
1: we're talking 30,000 a year.
0: Yep. Yeah. Singles and doubles brother. That's so right. it spends 30,000 spends, whether it's an apartment building or 10 duplexes.
1: Man, that is that's that's just a, a fantastic um, way to look at investing in general. Because you know, even me, you know, I'm guilty of it myself. I'm looking for uh, larger apartments, even though I invest in smaller apartments. You're you're, uh, you're you're telling me right now that sometimes when you look into the larger units, you're not making as much per door. So right. when, so if I focus on smaller apartments, I can uh, make more more cash flow on a monthly basis, man. No doubt, and Jamal,
0: here's the thing. When you buy a big apartment deal, big apartment deals, let's say 100 units or more, it's always a very much a team game. You know, you have an attorney that has some equity in the deal. You have the boots on the ground operator that has some equity in the deal. You've got maybe a couple of uh, loan sponsors and syndicators that have equity in the deal. So you might have three to five general partners, and they're all splitting up their equity. So there is a lot to be said for, what if I just go buy a 30 unit and I own it all myself versus owning 150 unit, but I only own 20% of it.
1: Yeah. Okay. I mean, because it's the same, I mean, if you look at the numbers, they're still the same. You just- Exactly. You, know, you, you have more control when you own the entire property. That's right. I would just tell
0: people, look, you know, look for the big assets for sure. You wanna buy a hundred unit, 200 unit, 300 unit, great. But there's a lot of money. A lot of my buddies that have big apartment portfolios, they still are buying those 20 units and 25 units, and they they got their start buying those you know 18 units and 25 unit deals, and that built their balance sheet to the point where they could tell a bank, they could tell a seller, they could tell a commercial realtor, hey, I've got 100 units in these five smaller buildings, or I've got 400 units, but... You know, there are 50-unit buildings or 25-unit buildings, but they built up a nice portfolio. And look at it this way, Jamel. The number to me is 950, okay? 950, right? Burn that into your brain. 950 units of apartments generates $1.2 million a year of net free spendable cash flow. Nice. So 950, and the reason why I get that, is we make about thirteen dollars to $1,500 per year,
1: Perfect. per unit. Perfect.
0: Exactly, so that's about 1.2. My number was, a, I wanna add another $100,000 a month to my net free cash flow. Okay?
1: And 950 so, units does that for you.
0: Yeah, now here's the thing. 400 units of residential does the same thing. Wow. Because remember we're making about 3000 a year with the resi deals per door. We're making about thirteen to 1500 on the commercial deals per door. So 400 units of smaller apartments that has more cash flow or duplexes and quads that has the same cash flow it yields me the same net result, which is $100,000 a month of net free spendable cash flow. It's the same. So I have a management company. It's called 950 Management. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's because we want to add another 950 doors to our portfolio, oh, but I'll happily to also take 400 resi deals, bro. Cause it's still, it's $1 million, 1.2 million of net free spendable cash. So it doesn't matter are... how you get there, man. That's let's right. not be, let's, let's not be biased. Let's just get there. Let's just get there. It doesn't matter if it's big deals, small deals. Let's just get there.
1: That's right, man. So, so when you look at it from a grand, from a, you know, uh, from a bird's eye view, basically if you, bu- you could buy less, residential deals uh to make the same amount if as if you were to double the uh commercial deals and you can have more ownership in a residential than you would in a commercial as well right that's right
0: that's right and i would say just just like you're talking about if you're getting started do wholesaling for quick cash be transactional because you you want to build up your income real big but also start buying rentals now right buy those duplexes quads same thing, when you're really focused on building your portfolio, don't just say like, I'm only gonna do commercial, right? Be also because Jamal, you might only do two to three big commercial deals a year. Yeah. You know, you, can only, you might make an offer on 70 deals and get two of them. So what are you gonna do with the rest of your time, right? You might as well go get those singles and doubles, buy those, and continue to build your cash flow. You I
1: know? would think it would be easier to get residential and commercial deals all the way around. Mm-hmm. You know It is. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah, no doubt, man. So if we had to give our listeners a, let's say a five step process to get started, um, what would be that five step process, uh, from going from where they are right now to where they want to go in real estate, whether it be, um, I know we're focusing primarily on uh, funding and apartments in this, uh, on this podcast, if they wanted to get started doing that, what would be those steps?
0: Yeah, so let's let's specifically talk about five steps for getting and raising money. Okay. Step number one is to create a specific what I call irresistible offer for what you're going to pay your private lenders. Mm-hmm. Okay. So here's some examples. If you're doing rehab flips, I paid my investors 12% interest or 15% of my profits, whichever was greater. And Jamel, that only worked 100% of the time. <laughs> it only worked because when I would present that to an investor and say, Look, I'm going to buy this property for 100, I'm going to put 25 into it, I'll pay a 12% interest on your money or 15% of my profits, whatever's greater." they're like, Well, the floor, the minimum is going to get is 12? Yes. So, an irresistible offer for apartments. What we'll do is we'll pay investors 10% preferred return, plus we give them a piece of equity in the deal. Mm-hmm. It might be very small, but it'd be 1% equity. But now they know, even if we refinance and pay them back all their principal, they've got perpetual cash flow for the rest of their life. That's irresistible. Right? So come up with something. If it's a rental property, we would pay 10% interest and give them 10% of the equity. Right? Cause if we're making $250 a month, like I said before, on those resi deals, they're getting $25 a month. It's 10%. It's right. not going to set the world on fire, but they're going to start to build up a little bit of residual income. So I'm okay with giving up a little piece of my profit or a little piece of my equity. It's irresistible. Nobody says no. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's number one. Number two is really to identify who's your ideal avatar investor. Okay. I've kind of got three, right? Who is the ideal person to invest in your deals? You know, at the beginning I would raise money for anybody, Jamal, that I could get, to I can get in front of I would have a conversation about real estate. I would tell them about how I was paying investors 12% interest or 15% of the profit. I would say, hey, I'm not assuming that you're interested in investing or lending at all, but if you know anyone who would be potentially interested in getting a 12% return or more, just refer them to me and I'll educate them about how this works just like I'm educating you. Well, what everybody would say when we we're done with the conversation is, Hey man, what about me? I don't want to refer you to my friends. What about me? I want that 12% return. So because I, I sort of pitched it in a very non-assuming non-threatening way and very conversational, I didn't even say, Hey, I, will you invest in my deals? Matter of fact, I switched it and said, Hey, I'm not assuming you have any money. I'm not assuming you're interested. I just want to educate you on what I'm doing in case you know someone. So it was that exclusion mentality. They turned around and said, hey, what about me? I'm right here in front of you. I've got 150 grand. I've got 500 grand. I got 50 grand. Can I get 12% return? And they loved me even more because I didn't pitch them, right? So step number two is identify your ideal avatar. Take anybody. Go present to everybody. Go talk to everybody. But don't pitch them. Mm -hmm. Present to them. Ask them if they know someone, and they will convince themselves to work with you. Okay. But the ideal avatar for me, I love working with e-commerce guys. Jamal, you know, a lot of e-com guys, guys that have Amazon businesses, those guys, you know, if they have a successful business, make a lot of free cash flow. They have a lot of equity. Sometimes they sell their business for a windfall. I love working with e-com guys. I love working with fortune 500 guys or corporate guys who are retired guys who've been in the grind for 35 years and now have a pension and a 401k. That's one of my avatars. And of course I go to meetups, RIA clubs, webinars, podcasts, and I present and talk to those real estate audiences. That's number two is identify your avatar. Number three is you have to ask yourself, where can this ideal investor be found? And just go associate there, right? If the avatar is the executive who's retired, maybe they hang out at their homeowners association meetings, go to the homeowners association meetings. Maybe those guys go to a golf course, go get a golf club membership. Uh, maybe the guys are going if it's a real estate audience they're hanging out at a ria club or a meetup go to those audiences if it's an e-commerce avatar go to e-commerce events and just have conversations at the bar have conversations in the hallway where can your ideal investor be found that's step number three step number four is once you find those investors again you're just collecting business cards you're collecting phone numbers collecting email addresses now step number four. You've got to find a way to have a regular recurring marketing plan to stay in front of them so that when they are ready to invest, they're thinking of you. Okay. I'll tell you a story, Jamal. I met a guy in 2015. My friend, Sean says, Hey man, let's go down to North Carolina, play some golf. I've got some buddies down there. Let's go play some golf. So great, let's go. I fly down in the morning. It's a Wednesday. We arrive at like eight in the morning, get to the country club. We go play golf. I hang out all day with the guys and I leave the next morning. Well, at the end of that, the first night we had dinner, we start talking a little bit about real estate, what we do. Two of those guys now, 2015, mind you, three years later, the first guy invested me a hundred thousand bucks. Wow. Now he's got $1.2 million with me. Okay. So, Met him in 2015, he didn't invest any money, but I stayed in touch with him for three years. I would send him links to podcasts, I would send him emails, I would send him deal flow, I would send him what we call funding opportunities or funding opportunity sheets. And I would say, hey, his name was Brandon. Hey, Brandon, I'm not interested, you know, assuming that you're interested in investing in this deal, but I just want you to see the type of deals that I'm doing. Check out this deal, we're paying a 12% return. Check out this apartment, we're paying 10% plus equity. If you're ever interested, let me know if you have questions. So I just nudged on him, man, for three years. Now he he invested. It, it, now he's got 1.2 million with us. The second guy, listen. yeah, all relationship, really but it's it's staying in touch with people in a cool way. Yeah, right. Like nobody likes the nagging girlfriend, the nagging boyfriend. <laughs> right. Nobody likes that. But what they do like is, hey, here's a subtle reminder. Whenever you're ready, I'm here. Okay. So we do webinars, podcasts zoom calls. We invite people onto zoom calls. We don't sell anything. We actually educate about previous deals that we've done mm. and said, Hey, this deal is not available anymore. But if there's ever a deal like this in the future, would you be potentially interested in learning more about it? Mm. Okay. So regular recurring multiple medium marketing over and over when people are ready to invest, they're going to invest. I had a guy call me yesterday. He's like, Hey Josh, you just sold my business last year. I'm ready to invest. I just sold my business for 1.6 million. I've been nudging on the guy for three years. I played top golf with him in Dallas. I'm from Cleveland. I played top golf with him in Dallas back in 2017. He's finally ready. Finally, step number five, Jamal, is listen, follow a proven sales process. So I know when I pitch a private lender, the first call, I always do the same thing. I get on the phone with them. I say, look, I know you're interested in learning about our deals or I know you're interested about learning more, but here, look, this first call, I have an obligation through the Securities and Exchange Commission that I have to develop a prior existing relationship with you. So I'd love to show you deals. I'd love to talk about returns, but I actually am not allowed to. So this first call is all about you. So help me understand a little bit about you. So now I just start peppering them with questions. Remember, Jamel, the guy who asks the questions is in control. Okay, so I've used the SEC. So if he starts peppering me with questions, I'm on my heels. If I start peppering him with questions, I'm in control. So I use the SEC to my advantage by saying, look, even if you ask me a bunch of questions about my deals, I really can't tell you until we have an existing relationship. So I'm gonna ask you a lot of questions. So though I start, do you have a CPA? Do you have an attorney? Do you have a spouse that's gonna help you make decisions? Have you invested in 401ks, IRAs? Have you done real estate deals, oil and gas, crypto, cannabis? What have you invested in before? I get all this stuff and I learn about their risk tolerance. Then I say, look, the next time we get together, number two, I'll start to show you some past deals that we've done in the past. Mm. If that starts to make sense, then step number three, then I'll show them an offer, an actual deal that I'm about to do. And I'll, I'll present them an investing opportunity.
1: Right. So it's a three, really a three touch thing uh, just so you can abide by the law pretty much. Right? That's right. So step number
0: five has, you know, five, A, B, and C. A is I'm peppering them with questions, trying to keep control, and learn what I need to know so I can check the box off Mm -hmm. from the SEC. Step number five B is now I'm going to show them an old deal, a deal that went well, obviously a deal that made money for everybody, a deal that had a good return. I'll show them that. And then step number five C is I'll say, Hey, you know, I know the guys at this point, he's, he's looking to invest or the girls, you know, interested in investing. Now I'll show them, I've got that existing relationship and I'll show them an actual deal but here's the last piece. There's sort of a step six, which is is not really in the system, Jamal, but step six is you want to have a deal that you can close that has urgency to it. Mm. Okay. So what I'd like to do is I like to show them a deal that I'm about to close in the next two to four weeks and say, look, I've got this deal. I've got another investor kind of lined up, but if you want to get involved, I can slide them out and slide you in and you could fund this deal in the next two to four weeks, and we can go ahead and get started.
1: Scarcity right. play, man.
0: That's right. So I use all the tools of control through questions, right? Uh, non assuming sales by saying, hey, I'm not assuming you're interested, but let me tell you a little bit more about what I do in case you know someone.
1: They right? are not coming across like the uh, car salesman type.
0: That's right. That's right, man. Exactly. And then at the end, once I do know they're interested, now, I'm starting to present the deal to them, but then I'm now I'm also starting to take it away, brother. I'm, as soon as I show it to them, I'm pulling it away from them.
1: Yeah. So I show
0: it, it to them and then I pull it away from them. So in the next couple of weeks, they've committed. Now they don't have weeks and months to make a decision. They've got to make a decision and wire the money into closing in the next month or less.
1: Man, you know, it, this all sounds, I mean, we, we both, we're obviously in sales as well, right? This is all sales, man. That's all. That's the- right. This is, I mean, it's incredible how you're using, you know, certain techniques from uh, certain strategies from understanding sales and applying it to, to, uh, raising, uh, funding for your business, man. It's it's incredible. Awesome. Quick question for you. If our listeners, if they don't have a, let's say a proven track record, um, how difficult is it for them to get started in something like this?
0: Uh, Jamal, listen, it's, it's really not nearly as difficult as People make it sound. I mean, you could take a deal from your mentor. You guys are following Jamal. He's got lots of deals. You could say, Hey, this is a deal that my mentor has done. If when we do a deal, it will look like this. Um, you could say, look, I'm looking for deals on the MLS or LoopNet, or I'm looking for deals from wholesalers. If I find a deal, it's going to look like this. Okay. And remember at the beginning, if you don't have a lot, a long track record, you may just have to offset that by paying higher interest. My, mm-hmm. my first private lender amount was my brother's mother-in-law and I paid her 18% interest on her money on a five-year note. So she let me, it was my first one. So I had to offset mm-hmm. my lack of experience with higher interest and how was she going to say no to 18% annualized return, right? she's like, I just got divorced. She had some money left from the IRA that she inherited through the divorce. She was happy to give it to me. She gave me 60,000. By the time I gave it back to her, it was worth over a hundred grand. She loved me forever, referred me to everybody that she knew. And so you can offset your lack of experience with higher interest. You can offset your lack of experience with professionalism. Mm -hmm. Anybody can be good at putting together a PowerPoint anybody can buy a, you know, a branded shirt that looks professional. Anybody can put together a nice website. Even if you have no experience, anybody can put together an online presence through, you know, podcasting, YouTube, your Facebook page, all of that helps you build some credibility. Even when you haven't done a lot of deals,
1: we have a mutual friend. I'm not going to mention his name on the, on the podcast, but um, I've done a podcast with him as well. And he told me uh, right now he owns uh, at that time, it was, We're talking three, four months ago, he was right below 4,000 units. Mm -hmm. And he told me that when he first started acquiring properties, which was about five, six years ago, um, he would offer, I think it was 67% equity to the private investor. And he would take the lower end of the bargain. And he basically built it up over time to where now he can make better deals for himself. But the whole point the big takeaway from that is just to get started. That's what Josh is saying. You know, if you don't have the experience, go ahead and offer more interest, offer the professionalism, offer the credibility in, in your experiences. And eventually you'll be able to get the the deal that you're, the deals that you're looking for. Uh, but in the meantime, you're going to need to uh, build, a, build a name for yourself with your investors. This is a relationship building process, guys. That's what this is. And uh, this is exactly, Josh has dropped some nuggets today. And you guys, it, it, again, if, you, if you're not catching him, uh, I'm not sure what you're listening to. You need to go back and listen to it again. <laughs> because this stuff has been fantastic. I picked up a couple of uh, pointers today and uh, I'm, I'm planning on implementing. So that's what uh, we as real estate investors do. Those who become successful, they listen. They're, they're humble enough to listen to everybody. But at the same time, they don't just listen, they apply. That's what Mm -hmm. it's all about. You got to just do something, get started. Josh told his story today about how uh, he became successful wholesaling short sales. He had, uh, he unfortunately uh, came, um, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, uh, which kind of set him back a little bit. But while he had the pancreatic cancer, he was figuring out other ways he was forced to uh, build a stronger business because of the pancreatic cancer, um, and then his uh, his his uh, wife and his uh, his his kid was going through some things at that time as well. It's all happening at one time, but he didn't let that stop him. Too many people have too many excuses. You gotta stop making excuses and start doing something. Start taking control of your situation. Um, then he talked about. Uh, how he uh, got into uh, doing 40K flips. He had a program on that. I'm sure some of you guys have probably heard about it. Got into uh, apartment uh, acquisition, still doing wholesaling and apartments today and small apartments, large apartments and private funding and all different aspects of the real estate business. But this goes to show you that, you know, considering where he started to where he is now and failing forward and pivoting and, and making adjustments in his business at the end of the day guys anybody can do this you know you just got to be willing to get out there roll up your sleeves and get the work don't That's be right. afraid you know uh don't let fear stop you you know one thing you know i i recently had a conversation with a friend of mine josh and i told him because he, he's afraid to get started i'm like don't let fear don't be selfish basically right because by you being selfish you're preventing yourself and your family and everybody else who's in your circle uh, the opportunity to have a better life That's because it's right. something that you know. So by you not taking action, you're being selfish. Yeah. Uh, you being selfish. Great too. advice. You know, so you gotta be willing to let all the noise go. Forget about, you know, everything that you, you hear from different people and all the naysayers and all of that garbage and just get out there and do. and. You know, let the results speak for themselves That's at that right. point, man. Great call, man. I, you know, this has been uh, a really, I, I've been wanting to get you on for a little while. I, I think I told you that um, earlier yeah. in the podcast, but I've been, I've been trying to get you on um, and I, I've just been so busy with, you know, my own personal businesses and stuff like that. And I finally saw you on Facebook the other day. I said, I got to reach out to Josh, man. Yeah. And I knew this was going to be a great call. Oh um,
0: man. I appreciate that.
1: Oh man, it's always a pleasure supporting you and what you do, man. And uh, I appreciate you supporting the podcast today, brother. Um, if our listeners wanted to get in contact with you, uh, what should they do, uh, or uh, uh, how should they uh, go about getting in contact with you?
0: Yeah, I mean, they can find me on Facebook. Just look up Josh Cantwell, uh, and also our main website is called Freeland. That's our that's this is our investment company, freelandventures.com. dot uh, On that site, you can actually you can get my book for free. It's called The Flip System. That book has a lot of the strategies that we talked about today. A lot of the stories about pancreatic cancer, things I learned along the way, raising capital, those five steps is in the book, uh, The Flip System. And you can either get it free digitally. You can just uh, uh, name an email, get it digitally, or uh, you can get it, we'll ship it to you for free. Just pay the shipping, uh, all of it at FreelandVentures.com. Awesome, man.
1: Are you reading any books, uh, by the way?
0: Oh yeah, man. I'm I'm a, I'm a, an, uh, a voracious, uh, audible, uh, listener you too, man. <laughs> Uh my, 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 uh, my favorite strategy is to listen to a book one time and I listen at, at one and a half times speed. Then I buy the book, physical book. Then I go back through it at about two times speed with the book in my hand, the physical book because that's the way that I, I was a very slow reader growing up. Like I was very terrible at uh, reading in English in high school. I was off the charts in math and horrible at English and, and spelling. So I really have a hard time reading, sitting and reading still. Um, but if I listen to it first, and then if I, if I can read it with my eyes and a, and a yellow highlighter, I find I can retain more of that information and I do more with that. If I, so uh, books I've gone through recently is like the Pumpkin Plan by Michael McCallowitz, um, Profit uh, First by Michael McCallowitz. Uh, love
1: Extreme Michael McCallowitz, man. Yeah, uh, his-
0: Extreme Ownership, Jocko Willink. Um, love his books, The Dichotomy of Leadership, Jocko Willink. Uh, I've been through that, uh, man. My Audible account's full of books, but those are just a couple that I've been through recently.
1: Mike McCallowitz has a, a book on. Um, let me look in on my. I'm not going to look for it right now, but he has a, a really good book on, um, basically understand. I think it's pay yourself first or something like that. Yeah. Profit first, first profit first, profit first. That was one of the first books that uh, I listened to on Audible. I was in a gym, you know, I, I listened to it within a week and I was, a, that's how I was introduced to uh, Mike McCallow. man. Yeah, yeah, Awesome. Awesome. Uh, books. Awesome guy as well. Um, but I'm going to link all of the, uh, uh, information on Josh in the description box guys. I'm also going to link the books that he's reading right now so that you guys can check them out. Um, and I'm also going to link his website, check them out at, uh, are you, are you still at shrek.com? So free
0: freelan is, is,
1: is got all of our stuff. There links to our podcast links to our
0: books, links to our investment, a bunch of our apartment case studies. It's all there.
1: Gotcha. I'm going to link that in the, in the uh, description box as well. In the show notes, if you're listening to this on Apple or on any of the, uh, Podcast our uh, platforms, be sure to check this video out on YouTube as well, um, so you can see Josh face to face and also uh, get all of the information in the in the uh, description box on the YouTube channel as well. Like this video, subscribe to it. Um, be sure to rate this podcast. Let me know what questions you guys may have for Josh. Maybe we'll have him on again in the future. Looking yeah, love coming back to doing that. And um, if you guys need anything in your real estate investing business, let us know so that we can help you. Uh, go from where you are right now to where you want to go in your business. It's been a real pleasure, brother. I appreciate it. Any last words for our listeners? Oh Jamel, listen, I, a couple things like funding equals freedom. you know uh,
0: you've got to get good at raising private money. People that own big portfolios certainly use some form of private money in their business. Funding equals freedom. That's a big one for sure. And just you know, take the advice from, that I took from my father, man, whatever you're going through now, What's not really important, what you're going through, it's the lessons that you're paying attention to as you go through it and look for lessons, look for teaching moments. And you say, wow, where is that going to apply to my life in the future? You know, going through pancreatic cancer, I could have just kept my head down and say, well, man, what was me? This really sucks. I'm I'm really in a bad spot. But my dad encouraged me to keep my head up and look for what are the teaching lessons and I'm still applying those
1: today. Man, great, great advice. Josh, man, you're going to have a movie one day, bro. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Uh, No way you heard it first.
0: (laughs) That's right. That's right. I'll bring you on as a partner, man. We'll do something together. That's fantastic.
1: (laughs) Definitely, man. But hey, man, it's been a real pleasure. It's a pleasure having you guys listen to us today. And I'll see you on the next one. Take care. Check out my website at reieducationacademy.com. To make it easy, you can just simply go to jamelgibbs.com or check out my YouTube page at youtube.com forward slash Jamel Gibbs. I'm all over the web, whether it be on Facebook slash the Jamel Gibbs or on Instagram at Jamel Gibbs. I'm in LinkedIn as well. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Snapchat. Check out all of these platforms for daily content, weekly content more content from Jamel Gibbs. But if you want to get more in depth, go to reieducationacademy.com. And that's how you can find out more about my training material and how you can get started investing in real estate today. Talk to you later.